This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So, thanks for having me back. I know none of you had any say in it, but I'm back. It's great to be back. All right, good, good, good. So, today I'm talking about, the, the service is called There's Hope in the Struggle. And what the principle behind that is, is that actually times of struggle or times of trial are not just things we can grow from, but things that have to be an element in our, what do you want to call it? Spiritual growth, our progress forward. And I wrote, wrote some material on it, but I don't need to because this principle is so true that it's just in everything. And the example we have sitting in front of us is we, Angela was just talking about the technology, right? And that there's been some struggle with the technology. It's working great now, but we had to, they had to do some maneuvering to get it there. And it's good because sure, there's more struggle than your average Sunday, with technology, but it's because there's this entire upgrade to all the electronics that were aging and, and needed to go to the next level. And you have just this universal principle where, yeah, something is new and better and it comes with challenges. That's just how it is. It's written in everywhere. And realizing that and realizing the full extent of that can change the way we see our own struggles because we got plenty of struggles. I don't feel like you never say to someone, oh, People struggle and they say, I don't struggle. I get people who say, well, my struggles aren't valid compared to the struggles that other people have. You know, you have some people that continually compare themselves to some group that they feel like they're, they're the ones who are really challenged and really struggling, mine or nothing. I want to point out that your struggles are something, that everybody's struggles are really difficult. And what I'm hoping to do is bring a little bit of hope to those struggles. So I know that the majority of folks are watching online. I think that red thing means you're the camera right there. Hey, you're in the chat. Write down in the chat, and I think your friendly moderator is already prompting you to do this. What's a time, because I think this is something people already know, when a difficult time led to some spiritual growth or emotional growth or somehow changed the way you see life, your attitude? Because I want to, in the second half of the service, you know, go through and show how this is showing up for real people in their real lives. We even have some video testimonials from New Church Live congregants about that. So I want to begin our exploration of this topic with a shocking, although I've kind of prefaced it enough that it won't be shocking, shocking and complex statement, which is that uh, it's from Secrets of Heaven, New Church Theology, anyone who imagines that the outer self can be brought into correspondence without inward struggle is mistaken. And that may mean nothing to you, so let me unpack it. We've got a couple of characters here. Well, maybe one major character, which is the outer self. The outer self is, I'll tell you about my outer self, so we can get acquainted with it. See if you have anything like this. The outer self is basically your, all the negative stuff that, that you think that if you said it out loud, if, if people heard you say it out loud, you'd be embarrassed, right? The outer self is the part of you that continually provides you with worst case scenarios in any situation. Outer self is when, looks pretty well lit here. I think I can just kind of walk from thing to thing. Um, outer self is when 
you are jealous of the next person because, or you want them to not succeed because their success somehow is a threat to you. Do you guys, so this may be familiar a little bit. Outer self, people call it the ego. People sometimes call it the monkey mind a little bit. That's the outer self. And the outer self rules us. Not all the time, but when mine's going, it's very hard for me to shut it off. And when, when it's really revving up and giving me all this anxiety, I can't stop it. The outer self is keeping, it being in charge is keeping us from happiness. What it's supposed, the outer self is fine, this more superficial part of us, but what it's supposed to do is serve the good of our life, serve the, you know, the greater spiritual purpose that we're on, rather than running the show and spreading us all out and, and making us miserable people to interact with. So, the whole point of God is there seeing the potential in us that we sometimes see a bit, but sometimes don't. This potential to be who you are in your best moments. You think about yourself then and that there's this, yeah, that really is who I want to be. Or maybe you even get flashes of, oh, I could be even more than that. Just when you're acting out of motives that you're proud of, when you're feeling love, when, when you've got some spontaneity, and some joy, and some, I would almost say innocence, like that life is fun. And I, I feel like I get those like little flashes of that, like when the seasons are changing, just as they're starting to now, that first hit of fall air reminds me, I get this almost sensory memory of what it was like when everything was beautiful. Like when, when you were a kid and you just noticed everything, we kind of tune it all out now. So there's a lot of potential in us for happiness. It's actually the process according to new church theology of God, taking us from where we are and making us angelic and making us into angels. It's a state of consciousness that, that you could call being an angel. And to get there, we've got to bring the outer self into correspondence. So correspondence means who, you know, you're, who you really are and who you seem to be become the same, right? And hopefully the good parts of you manifesting in the outer parts. So that has to happen. And the essential point here is that that cannot, not just struggle can help it. What has it phrased here? Inward struggle, inward struggle. And we're going to focus on that because it's not just like you can go out and say, well, I'm going to stub my toe because that's going to help me grow spiritually because it's struggle, isn't it? Inward struggle. Anyone who thinks we can get from here to there without going through some periods of inward struggle is mistaken. So that is, inward struggle is on the agenda. That is going to happen. And that might seem distressing or depressing, but you see this manifested in a lot of places. If you're not convinced by my um, just everyday examples so far, let's turn to perhaps the most beloved part of the Bible. I'm talking about Psalm 23, which is, I'm going to read some of it. I know you've, you've probably heard it. Maybe you haven't. Um, I want to read some, some of it here. Actually, you think about Psalm 23. I don't know if you do, but you think it's long. It's, it's really short. It has such a huge impact on so many people, but it's really, really short. I'm going to read some of it here. And I think we're going to see this dynamic right in it. Because think about what kind of shepherding the Lord is, is promising to do. So we begin. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, which is such a great 
statement. When you think, we could think, oh, there's God and God is out there and maybe has, you know, when we're in our better states and can really feel like there is God, but maybe God's kind of deistic and made, made the universe, but doesn't care about me. Isn't really thinking about me. I haven't earned it, whatever it is. But to think about, the, yeah, the Lord is actually the person, if you think of what a shepherd is, it's the complete guardianship and course plotting unit for the, for the sheep. So it's, we're going to be taken care of. And that second line, I shall not want. I'm not going to lack anything. How much of the anxiety in life is thinking you will have unmet needs? Whether those are emotional needs, whether those are life trajectory needs, health, whatever it is, like, I'm not going to get something. No, God is, is going to give us everything. Shepherds know how to do that for sheep. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. It all sounds really nice. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know what? We're set, right? Because you got the Lord as your shepherd. We're going to be walking in the paths of righteousness. We're not going to have any more bad days. Then the next verse, we're almost all the way through the the psalm. Can you believe how short it is? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Next verse, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. If we've got, if the Lord's the shepherd and he's leading, what are we doing in the valley of the shadow of death? And did we take a wrong turn? Why are we in the presence of our enemies? Wouldn't the shepherd lead us away? This psalm is depicting a bond and a closeness that evolves through hardship. The valley of the shadow of death, the table in the presence of the enemies. We're in scary places. We have things that are potentially antagonistic toward us. The comfort is, in this, this, obviously, the psalmist is quite comforted and quite happy with how the Lord is leading. The comfort there is that you're with me through that and that we need, that the, the great news about God leading us is that he's there in that difficult stuff. And then just after the table with the presence of my enemies, he says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So absolute assurance, even though there's this two really difficult places in there. So why is the Lord as the shepherd not circumnavigating the valley of the shadow of death and then just waiting till the enemies are done eating before we take a table there? Well, it's because this principle Times of crisis are how we grow. I don't think it's the only way that we grow, but there is an essential kind of growth that happens there that doesn't happen without it. And this, again, it might seem almost dark or fatalistic or something like that, but I would say that the entirety of existence points to this principle. I was saying it about setting up new equipment, okay? Maybe that seems like relatively 
trite, but what about exercise? Let's say that you wanted to get muscle by lifting weights. And I know you're probably looking at me and saying, you've never lifted any weights. Um, I did. I'll have you know it was more than a decade ago <laughs> that I was really doing that. What, how do you, you, you guys know what it's like when you need to build muscle, right? Well, your muscles need to get stronger. So what you need to do is, is put them in the most loving, safe, benign environment you can. You go and you lie in this little chamber and the lights turn on and the music and you go to sleep and you wake up and you got stronger muscles, right? That's not how it works. How do muscles grow? Through breaking, through micro trauma. That you actually, the process of building muscle, you can think of, if you, you can think of the same thing for cardiovascular health. How do you get a healthy heart and a healthy lungs? Well, you just, you sit there right? And you just make sure that nothing bothers them and they'll grow stronger. No, you run and it hurts. So with the weights, not actually, and okay, I'm going to expose myself as not being an anatomist or whatever you would be when you know about the deep details about the process of muscles and how they form. But I believe this thing called microtrauma, you actually have little teeny tears, that you make through working hard. And if you're really trying to build muscle and you got like your friend is sitting there and you're trying to do this bench press and you're like, what? The best way to do it is you go until you fail. Like you go until you're trying to get that last one up and shakes like this. And then your friend has to grab it before it falls onto your head. That that is how you build. So there, if I'm just saying the thing you're walking around in grows in this way. Not all growth, right? There's plenty of growth that's just from nourishing food, that's from rest. There is that stuff, but there's a certain kind of growth that can't happen. Why is it bad? Why is everyone saying, oh, it's dangerous to be sedentary all the time? Why would that ever be dangerous, right? It's because there's this principle. You have to be going through certain amounts of struggle. Okay, if you're not convinced by that, there's another one. You guys remember what it was like to be born? If you don't, have you ever given birth to somebody? Or perhaps been the helper to someone who's giving birth? (laughs) Which is just like, um, here, do you want some ice cubes? Can I hold your hand? Thanks for doing all the work. Um, (laughs) It's not easy. And yet, the most beautiful thing in the world comes out of that. And it's not easy. It is a struggle. It's a long, hard struggle. But yet, life comes out of that. So what about, so we get those physical examples. What about um, our inward struggles? What, how can good come out of them? I don't think this is a foreign concept. I think that what happens is if you look back on most people's lives, they will say, they'll be able to point back. And again, if you're in the chat, you can get even the chat on your phone right now if you want. Send in your examples. Um, You get people who look back and say, wow, that really changed me for the better. Think of people who are out really, really going after some kind of cause. People who are, I was just in a show we were doing on... uh, the YouTube channel that I run, 
somebody brought up the, you know, suicide. Somebody had had a, a child commit suicide and, and it was just a really heavy example. But how many of all the like suicide help hotlines and everything that has sprung up, how many, how, how much the energy for that was started, you know, around people who have had something happen? How many of all the, the people who are out there doing something for causes in the world? And I think that brings up an important point that I need to put a little flag in the ground now, which is that I'm not trying to say, and this may sound like it's sort of a cop-out, but I'm not saying that God does bad things to people to make them grow. This is something that New Church Theology hammers time and time again, and you can take it and see for yourself if it can resonate with you, but God never does anything bad to anyone. However, God brings good out of everything bad that can't be prevented. It may seem like semantics, but to me it makes a big difference. And it's just important to keep in mind that, the, that actually, you know, in the Bible it talks about now you're going to have to, when they get kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and it says, okay, now you're going to have to really work the ground, and now it's going to hurt to give birth. This isn't how it really should be. There is this separation between, you know, God and all of us, heaven and earth, that, that isn't supposed to be like this. Like now we have to go through these kind of struggles, but it's really supposed to be, it's not supposed to be this bad. So I think that's an important piece to carry with you as well, is that it's not just God said, let's make this world that is really brutal a lot of the time. This is making the best of a difficult situation overall. So I want to go to the, actually return to that quote we had in the beginning, which is, uh, anyone who imagines that the outer self can be brought into correspondence without inward struggle is mistaken. There's this, the next line to that that I want to read to you all here. What do times of trial do? And by times of trial, really think of dark night of the soul. It almost is irrelevant what you're going through externally. Because there can be some people who are in really difficult situations, but yet it doesn't hurt that bad inside. And some people who are in situations that might seem like they're not that bad, but it's, it's, people are really suffering. I'll give a, a, again, a pretty superficial example, but I um, recently, not so recently, but not that long ago, there was a Dereco. Is it Dereco or Derecho? The windstorm, 100 mile an hour straight winds that came right through here and knocked over a huge white pine that we had in our yard, nailed the neighbor's car, power was out. It was total chaos. Nobody could get out of our street. Total chaos. The experience of that wasn't that bad. For some reason, I was just in go mode. Like, okay, now we got to do this thing. Now we got to do that thing. Call 911. Oh, all the lines are down because everything is down right now. Okay, do this. It didn't hurt. Didn't really hurt to go through that. But there's been a lot of things that don't seem like they should hurt at all. But because of my internal world, because of what I was feeling and thinking and what my mind, my outer self was doing to me at the time, it really hurt. So what, what do those times of trial, what do those, and you know where yours are, and you're the only one who can really say, like, this, is, this was really hard for me. What do they do? Times of trial, okay, let's go to the next uh, one there. Times of trial are the means for getting rid of evil and falsity 
and replacing them with goodness and truth. So all that stuff I was talking about in the outer self, you could boil it all down to say it's things that aren't true and things that aren't good. These are the, the negative, shallow, superficial, antagonistic stuff in us and the things that we believe that, that don't line up with reality. You know, and this, you can take that all the way to, we, there's a part of us that it's absolutely doesn't think that there's God. It doesn't think that there's life after death, all the way to misconceptions we have about ourselves and people. That is what is clogging up our happiness. That, that is the project in front of God is how can we, you know, we see your potential, but you could be so much happier. I don't know if you've ever looked at someone and felt like, oh yeah, if they just didn't have this, this, and this in their life that we know is getting them down, they could be so much happier. So God has this stuff, things, things we're hanging on to with the mind or that we can't even figure out how to let go of and things that in the heart that we can't even figure out how to let go of and is saying, how can we replace those with love and clarity and wisdom? They are also the means for reducing the attributes of the outer self to obedience so that the outer self can serve the, okay, was the terminology alert? Serve the intermediate self, the rational self, and through this, the inner self, or rather the Lord working through the inner self. My outer self, the thing I was describing before, when nothing is going wrong, it, it will not give an inch on anything. I was going on and on a couple weeks ago to all of you guys about how I was having some health struggles, right? And what I noticed going in and out of these health struggles, which were very distressing to me, very much a time of trial, is that prior to them, I was really in my outer self. I was just going around about things and antagonisms between people and just little superficial things that didn't matter. And giving my time and attention and energy to that stuff. And that was just like, I just got so caught up in it. I was doing that. And then when I started to get scared, and then when I started to be distressed and in pain and all that stuff, suddenly I started thinking about my daughter and my wife. And suddenly I started thinking about, oh, I just want to be around. I want to survive this. I want to be around for them. But as soon as I started feeling better, I would start to get back into that. When things are going well, it's very hard for us to, to gain the leverage to put the outer self where it belongs, right? Which is not part of, the, part of our life. Those concerns and those things are fine, but not running the show. What this is saying is that when things are difficult for us, we understand what really, we start to give the real value to what really matters. And you see there it says, so the outer self can serve the rational self, which serves as the inner self, so that our knee-jerk tendencies and things serve our rationality, that we, when we are thinking clearly, okay, that the good thought takes precedence over these negative impulses and, and ridiculous stuff that goes on in our minds. And all that serves the, the real love that's in us, you know, what, the God in us. That that is meant to be the order. And I know, I mean, uh, there is, it is very difficult to snap that order in without the life that the outer self arranges for itself being disrupted in some way. So that's the principle. And now to draw that principle out, I want to talk about, talk through examples from real people in the real world. Um, 
So if you haven't gotten them already in the chat, we'll see if the chat thing works. I don't know if there's even people uh, writing in in the chat, but I have these video testimonials from people in the New Church Live congregation about struggles that they had and what they feel like they gained out of them. And it's not a dismissal of the struggle, but that they can look back now and see some something that obviously was precious that came out of it. So uh, let's, let's look at our first one of those, if we can pull it up on the screen. The struggle is real. A lot of events have happened in my life, awareness of something pretty important. Going through any kind of anguish is certainly not something any of us invite. And yet, when sad of events have happened in my life, awareness of something pretty important is raised, which is that I'm not in control. Over time, fully recognizing that I'm not in control has helped me to gradually trust more in the Lord's plan and turn my life over to Him. There is so much more peace in accepting that His providence will lead to a good outcome. I love it. I love that one. Did you guys, can you all hear that? Is it good? Um, so what he's saying is that the struggle and distress, which he didn't want in his life, forced him to adopt from this outer self. The outer self principle is I'm running my life and I'm managing things how I want to do it and I'm relatively competitive and whatever yours is, right? The inner principle is God is the shepherd. The Lord is running life. And what he was saying there, which is so brilliant, is that when you're in a situation where you're forced to say, I need help, I I have to trust you're running this show because I can't run this show, that is when that becomes real to you. If things, if you see yourself running your life and it's working for you and you're going through that for yourself and it seems all fine, you're never really going to believe that. You're going to pay lip service to it, but you're not really going to believe it. Think about somebody who's riding uh, bike training wheels and they're getting ready to do two wheels. If you never let go of that seat and they get to feel what it really is, they're never going to be able to do it. So it is here that he's talking about having that principle made real. And what does that do for the rest of life? Because you can make, you can have that become real for you. Wow. I really, I'm not running my life. I know because I wasn't running it there. And now here I am alive and actually I'm better now. How did, how would, how did anything constructive get pieced together out of that time when I was just laid out? And now you can take that and bring it into your everyday life. Because if the principle is real, Sure, trust in God when things are big and bad. But what about the little things? What about when you're stuck in traffic and you're going to be late, right? What about when you don't know how this upcoming meeting is going to go? If you can start to trust that God is taking care of things there, which is really only possible if you learned it in the struggles, then you're starting to be happy a lot. Then a lot of this outer suffering is gone. And that's the point. God is not thinking you're going to live in that suffering. It's about bringing back the riches to the everyday life, moving those. So it's just such a cool principle. Uh, 
that he illustrates there. Uh, and I could go on and on about it, but let's hear from our next testimonial. Going through various kinds of crisis, like crises of faith or crises of loss or in relationships, all that has really expanded me as a person and has made me better able to relate to other people with all the things we go through as human beings. And I would never have guessed it or chosen it, but going through crises has really deepened my relationship with the Lord because there's something about being in situations where I have no idea what to do or how to fix it or where to turn, um, and yet I get through each day. Each day I'm given some way to get through that day. There's something about that that has made me feel so loved, so personally loved by the Lord. And that has really um, increased my trust in the Lord's providence and made me feel closer to Him. So uh, another one about the providence, but there's, a, there's this awesome sh- shade of difference there, which is, well, first of all, that thing about feeling loved. And I'm not paying these people to say this stuff. They didn't have to. That's my mom. Sure. Right. It is. Okay. You'll find it out if you haven't found it out already. But, um, but she could have just said, well, I can't really think of anything. Um, why is she going out and saying uh, that she, it makes her feel loved? That's a complex thing. What goes on inside that makes you feel that? That's between you and the Lord. But she's coming out of it feeling like, wow, um, I feel like God loves me personally. Is that an easy thing to turn on and off? Isn't that something we're looking for in life? And how did she find it? She found it in these difficulties. And what I like, what I love about um, the first testimonial next to the second testimonial is that the first one I, I read kind of as like when you're just like, you're emotionally, your, your strength is not enough to, to get you through and the Lord gets you through. And she's talking about when you don't know how to get through. Because, you know, we spend so much time strategizing and, and like trying to architect our life. But to get to the point where you're like, I have no idea what the next right move is. Like, I just don't, I have no idea what the next right thing is. And to see out of this total lo- despair, an idea come in. Oh, this is what we do. This is the next thing. Suddenly, this idea that the Lord is leading us becomes real in that way. And that's something you can take everywhere because life is a lot more fun and tolerable if you really understand the leading of the Lord. So I want to read a couple of um, uh, chat testimonials. So these are some events that people felt like they were able to pull some spiritual growth from. Sue said, the death of my partner. Which seems like, you know, is there anything tougher? But something good came out for her. Nancy said, spending time with my dad in Florida in the last month of his life. Divorce after 33 years of marriage. That's Alan. House fire. Somebody said, also this whole quarantine process has created time for me to go more within and increase my spiritual journey. Oh, there is something good about the coronavirus. So Sharon wrote, struggle when I am blocked from doing something that I had planned to do. This sounds very whiny, but boy, does my ego bark when a plan I had is derailed 
by someone else. So getting to not only learn you're not in control, but getting to know your ego a little more and realize, oh, it's triggered when it does that. One struggle was when I finally confronted an evil behavior within my family rather than excusing it. It was a hard thing to accept it. But in the end, feeling like this was the right thing. And then Barb says, I get that God gives me different events to learn to not live in fear. I'm getting better at recognizing it as they come now and turn them over to God. I'm sure I will continue to exercise. Awesome. Thank you, everyone. So this is, right, it's not something I'm having to like wring something out of people. This is a principle that's alive in everybody. Let's keep going. Let's hear another one. Um, this is, this is um, another person offering up what they got out of struggle. Sometimes I struggle with anxiety, which is connected to a lack of self-confidence. Now, when I'm in a place of fear, I've become more aware of the cycles of struggle, followed by peace, that are part of this journey. I feel like through these cycles, the Lord is gently and continuously raising me in an upward spiral. Knowing this helps me to recognize that I am able to confront darkness and win a battle. One thing I really love about that is, and one key tool that she was getting there is the recognition of a cycle. That what we're trying to do in getting this information is to understand how things go. Because that can be so comforting. Going back to my example about my health issues, I was having this like whole acid reflux, like oh, I just couldn't sleep, everything was terrible. Starting to understand, oh, wait a second, it kicks up and then in about three or four hours it's gone rather than this is going to be with me forever. That mattered. To start to understand the cycles. So there she's saying, look, these, this is actually, sure. And not, not just that there's cycles, but that it's a spiral to be able to recognize. This is why some people journal when they're going through depression or they're going through something really difficult because you, your mind will tell you, your outer self will tell you that it wants to keep its hold on your life be like, it, it's always been bad. It's always been bad. You're getting worse. But when you actually go and write down and look at how things were, it's usually getting better. Or if it's getting worse, it's going to get better. So for her to see that and to go and to solve this, to have a self-esteem and anxiety from that, to not be comfortable in your own skin and, uh, is really hard. It's just debilitating so many people. And the idea that you can get some kind of tool with that through these cycles, uh, it just shows some of the magic of how the Lord can work with people. All right, we've got two more. So let's, these have been so good, edge of our seats. What's the next one? Let's, let's take a look. Back in 1991, my oldest daughter died in a car accident. She was nine years old. At that time, I was very uh immature emotionally and I had a lot of development to do and going through that grief and that process uh, really helped me down that road and pushed me down that road. I'm thankful for that. So that's my dad. Okay. My mom and my dad, those are my only relatives that are in this. Um, And he's describing, you know, we talked about the death of a spouse before the death of a child. That's my sister, right? So I was, I was in that car accident that he's talking about. 
The idea that he can look, even now that he's looking at that and not just saying, there's no God. But, but even to, for him to pull something and to say, look, this, this changed who I am as a person. And I remember, you know, thinking at the time, it just seemed like it's over. Like everything is ruined you know, when, when Annika died. Everything is ruined. But look at us now. We're all alive. And Annika's alive. My sister's alive. She, she's there in heaven, like hanging out and probably really good at stuff by now. My dad is, is, is not just emotionally mature, but just an awesome, strong, spiritual guy. My mom is awesome. My whole family. Right? And here we are. And it's not the way that I would have written the story. It's not the way that God would have written the story. But if, let's say, when the, we all get old and die, and we, if we're waking up, and we get to see Annika again, and we all have this growth, I'm not saying I wouldn't change it if I could, but I'm going to say somebody was taking care of things. Like, like we, are, we are happy now and whole, and, and we're going to bring everything we learned from that in to, you know, to this wonderful life ahead. All right. We've got one more of those, and then we'll end with an interesting example of this from a couple hundred years ago. So here's the last testimonial. Hi, my name's Alan Keel. Um, just wanted to share that, um, you know, after about four years of my divorce of a 33-year long marriage, I started really feeling lonely and um, not connected with pretty much anything. Um, and I really need to examine why that was happening. And so I, I turned back to the new church, especially the new church live, which I knew, you know, I knew Chuck very well. And I knew that if I just reconnected, maybe somehow that would help me get through my uh, loneliness and my sense of not being a part of, which in when I look back on it over these last six months or so, it's really made a difference for me. Going to church every Sunday via Zoom or via the online uh, part of New Church Live and then going to the discussion afterwards has really made a difference in my life. Um, I'm connected with more people. I have more... Um, you know, I'm not as lonely as I was at one point. And it's just connecting again with my God that I choose to call my higher power has really helped me get past that, that hump of loneliness and a little bit of depression in there. And um, I've really come out of the other side of it really in a better, much better relationship with my God and um, being able to connect with people on a different level than I ever have before. So I hope that is uh, something that you're looking for. Thanks. Yeah, that's exactly what we're looking for. And there you have gone through something really difficult and not trying to deny that there's pain and suffering in that, right? But seeing the steps where that loneliness led him to correct... Not saying it brings back what you lost, or, but we're saying it led him to correct some things that had been going on for a long time and brought him into new, these new good things. And I'd say it's a testament to all of you that 
that New Church Live, the community, was able to give him so much you know, as, as he's working through this. So I just want to say thanks to everybody who did that. Thanks to, oh, let me see. Um, yeah, good. Thanks to everybody who shared in the chat and there. And so I want to, yeah, I want to end with to say that this is not a modern phenomenon. This is something that's been going on for a very, very long time. We're going to take a look at um, Swedenborg's Journal of Dreams. So New Church Theology, that is, Swedenborg is the person behind these insights that were the root of New Church Live and how it all started. And you have this amazing thing where this, he was this guy, a brilliant scientist, who way before there was anything like psychology, began to just catalog his dreams and try to analyze what they might mean. And you're going to see in here evidence of a struggle and something being brought out of this struggle, uh, yeah, even in 1700. So the first um, bit... Okay, so this is from page 26. I'll read you a little story. This is him describing his dream. Afterwards, it seemed I was with a number of others dining with a priest. I paid about a, do you want to hear me pronounce that? Louis de Ur for my dinner. More, in fact, than I ought. But as I was on the way therefrom, I had with me two silver cups I had taken away from the table. This pained me, and I endeavored to send them back and it seemed I had the means of doing so. Very dreamlike. You know, like, oh, I had this, but then I realized I took this thing. Okay, let's go to the next. And here's, here's where he says what he thinks the meaning is. And by this time, he's been having a lot of spiritual experiences and really feeling connected to God. This means, I believe, that I, in the temptation, had paid my part. It was God's grace, and even more than I ought, God's grace. He, in this, is cataloging a very difficult crisis of the spirit that he was going through, right? That he's been having a lot of really struggles around his own pride because he's, you, as I said, he was a very successful scientist, thought, thought he was a bit better than everyone else, but really having himself confronted by that. And yet here he's saying, and it was really painful for him through a, through a series of events, it was really painful for him, but here he's saying it's God's grace. He's not mad at God. He's saying this was, this was actually a good idea even more than I ought, but that thereby I learned much about spiritual things. So from these struggles, learned much about spiritual things, which is meant by the silver cups, which I wish to send back to the priest. That is to say, to the glory of God, I would again give to the church universal in some manner, as it seems to me indeed may be the case. So I've learned a lot of spiritual things through these struggles, and I just hope that I can give something back to the, the church universal, meaning the, the great, the, the large sea church of God's connection to the human race. And you know what he did shortly after that give back New Church Theology that led to, among many other things, New Church Live. So we wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for that struggle back then. So struggles can have ripples that go throughout history. How many things, you know, how many things from struggle are continuing to bear good fruit and good fruit. All right. That is what I hope you can take with you, that there is hope in the struggle. Not that there isn't a struggle, not that we're not in the valley of shadow of death, not that we are not at the table with the enemies, but that there's hope and that you can know the Lord is going to bring something good out of this. 
And that we can even put in a little bit of work then. That the more we can, if I can use this to have anything true about the Spirit become a little more real to me, that's going to pay off for the rest of my life. I mean, I'm always going to have that change in me. So not saying you'll be able to do it all the time. There's plenty of plenty, my struggles that I've been going through. There's plenty of times when I was like, I don't know, none of that stuff. I just need to get better now. But there's other times when having these concepts can really be life-saving. So let's close by just um, doing a quick little silent prayer. Um, I'll just speak a few words to lead us in, but just take a little time uh, to search yourself and see how the Lord is talking. So I want to say thank you for good things that are brought out of hard things. And we know that there's nothing you ask us to go through or allow us to go through that you're not experiencing as well. We know your intent is not to harm us, but to help us and bring us closer to happiness. Thank you for seeing the way and knowing and plotting that ineffable route to us being the happiest we can be. And thank you for keeping at it and comfort us when we can't see that leading and comfort everyone who we know that we can't prevent that suffering in. So hear now the silent words of our hearts. Okay, it was quick, but we can you can do that anytime on your own. Um, I just got another message in from the chat, which um, the moderator said, I don't know if you're going to read anymore, but I'll send this one just in case. Yeah, let's close with one of those. Um, Donna talked about getting something out of living minute to minute through my daughter's massive brain hemorrhage, paralysis, and recovery. You think about the difficult things people are going through all around the world. It could be overwhelming. But something good to think about is all the good, all the helping, all the love that's coming out as well. And that those people, everybody is going to come away in the end stronger and stronger and happier and happier. And I hope that's true for you this week. And and I hope on and on. And you can help spread that comfort and, and hope to everybody. So that's our service for the day. Thanks so much for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.